Uh, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Let's, let's spend some time together in God's Word this evening. Hopefully spend some time in prayer over what Jeff just prayed, actually. Uh, the, the loss that are out there and having a burden for the loss. Listen, during times like these, a church can, can go one or two ways in an interim time. We can either coalesce around the mission, uh, become unified, as we've talked about so much, or we can start getting off in the weeds of certain issues and differences of opinions and start seeing fr fractions happen in the church. And so we, we're, we're going to rally around the gospel of Jesus. That's where it is. We're going we're to determine. That, that's what we have to do is determine as a church what we're going to be about. Uh, we're not going to get off into all these other things. We're going to determine that it is about reaching the lost. And so my prayer during this interim time is that you'll determine to be unified. You'll determine to, to share the duties of the church and share the responsibilities of the church. I'm so grateful to be in your student ministry and, and watching as different ones from students to adults are just being determined to grab that student ministry and make sure that uh, kids are loved on and that uh, the lost are being reached and that kids are growing in the faith. And so that's exactly what it's all about. This, tonight, I want to take you to a place called Farmville, USA. And you're like, we live there. No, hang on. Farmville, USA. Every, every town gets its name for some reason. I'm sure Wynn, there's a reason that Wynn has the name Wynn. And, and, and I have no idea what that is, but, but uh, every town comes about their name from some sort of historical event. Well, Farmville got their name how you would uh, imagine. Uh, a fellow decided that he wanted to build a farm. He wanted to make a life for himself, so he moved out, sort of pioneered out just a little bit, and uh, found a plot of land where he could begin to farm. And so that's what he did. He moved into this location, and, and he began to clear the land stumps and began to work the land uh, faithfully and, and tried to institute his farm. So he began to, to plant the seed and do all the things that you need to do in order to see produce, and lo and behold, he was pretty successful, so much so that as the years went on, he was able to expand his farm little by little. And as success brings attention, so happened for this man. That's what success does. It, 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 you, people notice success. And that's happened to this guy, and so uh, different people began to move around him in order to watch him farm, in order to learn his practices. And as they gathered together in this location and built their farms, it became known as Farmville. Well, everyone in town or everyone in that area began having success. And so they began to talk a little bit about farming practices. And they began to see some traffic come through their little area so that they could learn how to farm. Different ones would come. And so they'd talk a little bit about it. A couple of people began to write books on how to farm. They began to have some conferences, and that farm town just kept growing and growing until eventually, man, they, have, they had a movie theater downtown. And, and at the movie theater, all they showed were movies about how to farm and how to be successful in that. They built a library. At the library, the entire library was built on farming. It was based on farming. And so people would come, and they'd read books and books and books about farming. They had conferences and big events where people would show up to the town. And that's how it grew by leaps and bounds until one day a young man who wanted to know about farming decided to make the pilgrimage to Farmville. He walked into town. He looked around. He was hoping to see somebody farming. 
So he stopped somebody on the street and he said, listen, I want to know about farming. That's why I've come to this town. And, and the person that he stopped said, listen, our movie theater is showing a terrific film right now on how you can learn to be a better farmer. You need to go watch that movie. And the man said, no, 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 I want to, I want to be with someone who's farming. And so he walked on down the street, he encountered somebody else, asked the same question. I want to know, is there somebody that I can watch while they farm? Listen, we've got books upon books in our library. You need to go down to our library. Listen, there's some great books for you to read. And as he walked around town and asked this question over and over, he began to notice something. No one was farming anymore. Everyone had built a business around farming, but no one was farming anymore. Now let me take you to a place called Churchville, USA. In Churchville, just being honest with y'all, we've got all the books. We have every book that we need on how to do church. We've got all the conferences and events. Hey, I'm listening. I'm one of those guys. I, I have, I run a lot of the conferences and events. We have films and videos that you can watch on how to do church, on how to be the church. But here's the question for us tonight as we gather in this upper room. Are we really doing church anymore? Are we really going out and reaching the lost? Because that is what it's all about. Romans 1.16 simply says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Let me give you a little state of evangelism. Marcus Brown, uh, my compadre, my brother who was with you a couple weeks ago, he may have said something similar to this. Uh, in Cross County, there's a, roughly about 17,000 people. Shake your head, yes, if I'm close. 17,000 people in Cross County. And uh, according to the latest census, when they take their little census and write what religious affiliation they are, 32% of your county said zero affiliation, no affiliation whatsoever, okay? They didn't write down Baptist. They didn't write down Methodist. They didn't write down Episcopalian. They didn't write down anything, zero affiliation. We tend to, in our bubble, think there's not really that many lost people around us. Most people are saved, go to church, but according to the census, out of those 17,000 people in this county, about 5,500 claim zero religious affiliation whatsoever. Now, in our mindset, we kind of get lost in our little bubble, and so we think that everyone's saved. Really what we're thinking is all my, excuse me here, but all my middle-class white friends are saved. And that's the bubble that we kind of create for ourselves, and we we, we t tend not to get out of that bubble. And, and, and we have to begin to realize that, listen, this isn't about just becoming this organization of, of middle-class people. We've got to think above and beyond that to reach out to the rest of these folks who do not know Jesus as their Savior. Now, the other statistic that I want to bring to your attention, and I, I, I taught this to the youth the other night, or taught this statistic to them, is about three to five percent of churchgoers will share their faith personally with someone and lead them to Christ. Are we getting that? Three to five. So let's say that there's a hundred folks in this room tonight. I don't know if there is or not, but a hundred folks. 
That means that about five of us in our lifetimes will share the gospel with someone and lead them to Christ. And we wonder where the power is in our churches. We, we wonder where the movement is. Where's the energy? Where's the excitement? And so often we misplace it. We put it on the platform and we say, well, this has got to be better. The preaching's got to be better. The, the music's got to be better. Or we put it on the activities and events. We've got to do this better. We've got to do this bigger. That has nothing to do with it. In Churchville, USA, we have got to get back to the one thing that really matters, sharing the gospel, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. So let's talk about that verse for just a second. I am not ashamed. Let's talk about that word shame. I believe it's up on the screen. Shame. What is shame? What is the definition for shame? Well, is it, is it disgrace? Yeah. Is it embarrassment? Yeah, we get those words. Humiliation. Is that what we're feeling towards the gospel? What, what does that mean? What is shame? Is it, is it wearing, not wearing open-toed shoes because you got that real gnarly toenail that you don't want anybody else to see, you know? Is, is, it, is it when you go to the restaurant with your father-in-law and he tells all the bad jokes to the waiters and waitresses and you feel this shame? What is shame when it comes to the gospel? Because it doesn't feel natural, does it? I mean, it may be just me, but it doesn't feel natural just to go up to somebody and start in with a conversation. Hey, do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? I was at the gym, believe it or not. I was at the gym... <laughs> the other day, and uh, I pray for our neighborhood. There's 61 houses in our neighborhood, and I have a little app called uh, Bless Every Home, and it actually zeroes in on your neighborhood, pinpoints your neighborhood, tells you who your neighbors are, because, you know, we don't get out and meet our neighbors anymore, and, and, and it allows you to pray for them, and you can actually click off how many times you've prayed, how many times you've served uh, your neighbors, and how many times you've shared the gospel with your neighbors. And so my neighbor happened to be in the gym that day, a guy that I've been praying for. His name's Mitchell, Mitch. And so uh, he goes into a room and, and he's working out and I'm over here uh, on some piece of equipment. And so I'm having this conversation. I'm a preacher of the gospel. Here's the conversation that's going on in my mind. There's Mitch. Wonder if I should share the gospel with him. Man, I don't want to do that. Man, right here in the gym, oh, golly, I don't want to share the gospel with him. And I started having this tug of war. You ever been there, this tug of war that happens? I actually said this to the Lord. Hey, Lord, if he comes back out of that room, I'll share the gospel with him. Now, how dumb is that? How immature is that? And I'm a preacher, and that's the kind of conversation that I'm having. So I got mad at myself. I got down, and I went, and sure enough, he comes out, and we have this conversation, and able to share a little bit of Jesus with him and who he is. Mitch was not saved that day, still praying for him. What do we do with the gospel? Because, church, here's often our mindset. We often gather together on Sundays. We have a tremendous day like we're having today, tremendous day, where we have talked about being ready for the return of Christ, being ready and prepared and lighting the way for his return. We get together and we talk about Romans 1.16. And then we walk out these doors, and just being honest, let's be honest, sometimes we have a defeatist mentality when we go out into the world. You know what a defeatist mentality is, don't you? It's where you give up. It's where you don't even feel like you can win the battle. It's, it's like, for those of you who are athletes or have been athletes, it's like you go to summer workouts getting ready for football. You go through all the workouts. You do all the weightlifting in the spring. You do all the running in preparation for summer. You get to summer, and you go through those hot, hot two-a-days, and the coaches are barking. Coach Thunder Rump is yelling at you every chance he gets, you know. 
And, and you go through all of that, but the season is coming. Fall rolls around. It's the first week of the first game. You're getting pumped up, amped up, ready to go, ready to hit the field come Friday night. They have a pep rally for you on Friday. Everybody gets together and cheers you on. It's Friday. You walk out to the, the, to the locker room. You get that jersey. It has your number. It has the name of your school on it. Everybody is amped, jacked, ready to go. The lights are on. You walk out the doors. You're heading towards the field. The whistle's about to blow. They're about to put the ball on the field. It's about to be go time. And we don't even cross the white line because we don't believe that we can win. That's often the kind of attitude that we take from church. We get together. We have this big time of, of, of getting ready and prepared and we go out these doors and we almost have this defeatist mentality like no one's going to listen because shame takes in what is shame where does it come from well there's three things that i believe lends to our shame number one is inadequacy you may come today and we may be talking about the gospel and you're thinking share the gospel Ooh, ooh, i, I, hmm, I can't do that i don't know the words to say i don't even know where to begin. I don't know how. That's inadequacy, and it can lend to the shame. It could be humiliation. Not only is there a lack of confidence, but you're afraid of what that person is going to think of you when you begin to share that gospel. And so this humiliation, what will people think? What, what will my status become in my friend group if I actually start saying the name Jesus in their midst? And then maybe even guilt. Guilt comes in. I think this is a problem for a lot of us. We mess up. We do some things in the dark. And we know it. We, 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 we've done some things in our past. And we know it. And Satan keeps bringing that up and whispering it to us. And it's a guilt that overcomes us. And we don't feel qualified. We don't feel like we can even go and share the name because of the guilt in our lives and it holds us back so how do we overcome shame we overcome shame by having confidence I know the gospel I know how it changed my life I know my story I've even practiced it a little bit sharing it with others along the way I know what to say I've, I've trained myself I've downloaded apps that are out there. There's some really good apps to help share the gospel. Life in six words. Life on mission, the three circles illustration. There are so many good things to help us train and be confident in sharing. That's how we overcome the shame is with confidence. Secondly, we overcome shame because of the lordship of Jesus in our lives. I'm not going to be humiliated. I'm not going to care what other people think because I care more about what Jesus thinks. I care more about who Jesus is more than I care about my status in this friend group. When Jesus becomes Lord, I've settled in my heart that he is king and he deserves the glory and I am able to go and be on mission for him. And it overcomes the shame in our lives. We're, we're, we overcome shame by having this value of knowing of how much we're loved. The guilt is left behind. Yes, I was once broken. Yes, I was once trapped. Yes, I once needed a Savior, but there's good news. There's a reason they call him the Savior, because he saves, and he saved me and lifted me up 
from all that mess and continues to lift me up from that mess so that I'm able to go in freedom and in confidence of who I am in Christ. Yes, I was once broken, but now I serve a Jesus who has redeemed me and set me free. And listen, when we allow those thoughts to start coming to our minds, it's then that we're able to battle the shame. And it is a battle. Hebrews tells us that Jesus despised the shame set before him by enduring the cross. You ever thought about that phrase? Jesus despised the shame. He even had to go toe-to-toe, face-to-face with shame, get past it to go to the cross. Let's look at that second word that I think sticks out in that verse, and that's the word power. The word power. In other words, that power that it takes to be intentional. That power that it takes to cross the street to that neighbor. The power that it takes to serve someone or to build a relationship with someone. Right now, Melissa and I are, are praying for, and she especially is praying for a coworker of hers. Uh, this lady works with Melissa, and she's an atheist uh, in the school system there. Her husband is the chair of a philosophy department at a nearby university. They know this stuff inside and out. They have big, big thoughts about religion, and they are strictly against it. But yet, Melissa has loved this lady, loved this lady to break down walls, loved this lady despite who she is and what she says about Christianity, loved this lady with the intention to share the gospel. I invite you actually to join us in those prayers for this gal. She's going to retire this year. This is it for us. These next three, two, three months is our prime opportunity to share Jesus with this particular lady, and it's going to take power. It will take the power of Christ to infiltrate that cold, callous heart. But power is associated in the scriptures with gospel throughout. 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Acts 1.8, the gospel is power. We've got to reclaim that word, power, from within our churches. It is the gospel that can penetrate and absolutely change lives on a dime. Eric Von Puckby grew up in our student ministry. Eric was a fifth grade boy from Laos living on a chicken farm outside of Waldron, Arkansas in the middle of nowhere. Eric lived on that farm with his Buddhist grandmother who did not speak a word of English. It was a dilapidated trailer out in the middle of nowhere working that chicken farm. I started picking up Eric on the church van, a little old blue Dodge van. I'd run Scott County from one end to the other picking Eric up. Eric was coming to our church, awkward, had no idea what the gospel was. Began to hear the stories and feel the love of the church. By eighth grade, Eric had accepted Christ as his Savior. We couldn't get rid of him, literally, in the church and at our home especially. Could not get rid of the boy. He just became one of ours. Watched him as he grew in the Lord, and Jesus transformed that boy's life. Went on to school at the U of A. Graduated the U of A here recently with some highfalutin medical technology degree. He works for 
some hospital in northwest Arkansas has a great job. Shouldn't have ever been. Grew up on a chicken farm with a Buddhist grandmother that didn't speak English. Should not have been. Eric now plays drums for the largest church in Arkansas, leading worship every Sunday morning. Eric is part of discipling people, discipling kids to come to know Jesus. It is the power of Jesus that transforms lives. We have no idea who's around us that Jesus will grab hold of and totally transform and use for his kingdom. If you Months ago, I was at a small church out in the middle of Timbuktu, nowhere, Arkansas. Matter of fact, got lost. One of the only times that I've ever gotten lost. I ended up in a cow pasture, GPS saying, you're at the church, and these cows staring at me, chewing their cud, going, we ain't no church, boy. And so finally found my way back, backwoods, Arkansas. Little church with a 70-year-old pastor over that church. I showed up, and y'all, I'm serious. I'm thinking, no one is coming to this thing. That You could have fit the entire church for sure in this room. And I'm sitting here going, no one is coming to this youth event that I'm going to speak at. This old pastor led me around. And he began to talk about how they pray, he began to talk about how it's all about Jesus and how they share the gospel. Seven o'clock on a Saturday night rolls around, and I start watching as they start filing in the doors, 150 teenagers ended up in that church that night. You couldn't even sit. They were, they were lined up on the walls. It's the power of the gospel that we have to believe in. So what is power? When we think of that word, we think exerted strength, power. Kind of like Jeff up here. The wind zoo called Jeff today. They want their pythons back, you know, that kind of power that comes in. We think of riches, don't we? We think of the ability to, to, to have wealth and buy and sell companies and do whatever you want. That's power. We think of influence, don't we? Influence and control presidents, kings, CEOs. I have a buddy, I was telling some folks at lunch, I, I have a buddy who is kind of second in charge at Murphy USA down in El Dorado when the Bologna storm ripped through, the tornado came through and, and leveled parts of our town, I called him up because people were delivering water left and right, but some folks wanted some, some sports drinks. I called him up and I said, is there any chance that Murphy can, can get us some sports drinks? Within three hours, he had a truck rerouted from Missouri, completely full of sports drinks that were being dropped into that little town in Arkansas. That's, that's influence. We think of that as power. Did you know that there are 550,000 people in the U.S. Army 200,000 folks in the Marines, 320,000 in the Navy, 334,000 in the Air Force. There's 1.5 million active military. We think of that as power, that strength in numbers. But, but, but church, we've gathered together tonight. More than the riches of the world are the riches of heaven. More than the influence of the kings and the CEOs of the world is the sovereignty of of our God. More than the strength in numbers of the world is the power of the local church on mission. More than the power in the world's strongest man that you can imagine is the person sitting in the pew that has a strong and active faith. We just got to reimagine and re-grab that word power for our churches. I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So let's think about that word belief real quick. Last word I want to point out to you. Believe. What does that word mean? To believe. Because there's a difference in us gathering together tonight and, um, and just, just have wishful thinking. Just hoping that this is all true. Just hoping that this is right. Just hoping that one day I'm going to make it. Now, believe is a little bit stronger. Actually, it's a whole lot stronger. The word believe actually means, if you look into the Hebrew and break the word down, it means to rest your full weight upon. When you believe in Jesus and his gospel, you are placing your life on that gospel. You are betting your life on that truth. You're placing your full weight upon the act and work of Jesus, who he is coming to the cross, what he did as he went to the grave, rising again three days later. I, I, we're putting our weight upon him. I, I liken it to this. You guys walked in. I watched you. You walked in. Some of you wanted to find a seat around here. And when you came in and you found the right seat, what you did is you walked to that seat and, and you sat down. And you just sat down. You didn't look at the seat. You didn't examine the seat. You didn't shake it to make sure. You sat down in that seat. Now what if, before you came in and sat down, I made an announcement before anybody sat down that one of these chairs, I had taken the rivets out of the chair and I'd replaced the rivets with toothpicks. So somebody is going to sit down in a chair that is not capable and you're going to end up on the floor. Now come and find a seat. What would you have done? You would have come in and you would have been examining, you would have looked, you would have, because your faith had been shaken. But no, you came in and you sat down in the seat without even thinking because you believed that that seat would do what it was designed to do. When we approach the gospel and we say we believe, we are placing the full weight of who we are, our lives, on this story of Jesus that came and died for our sin and rose again as Savior and Lord. And we, we put our full weight that Jesus did what he said he would do. He is qualified and able to do what he says he will do. So when we leave out this place tonight and we say we believe in the gospel of Jesus, we have to walk out in full belief. So as we encounter a world that needs something to believe in, someone to believe in, encountering a world that is devoid of hope, we have that confidence, we have that assurance that we can share with them who Jesus is. Salvation based on faith, on who he is. Japan has one of the highest suicide rates in the world. There's a place in Japan that, there's a couple of places that are actually popular suicide spots, if you will. And there's one place in, in particular, I, I'm not going to say it correctly, all right? I'm just going to throw this out there. I believe it's called Tojimbo, Tojimbo. 
uh, something like that. What it is, it's a place near the sea, near the ocean, and it has tall, rocky, craggy seaside cliffs. And it's here that many, many people go that are despondent, in despair. They don't know where to turn. They go to these cliffs and they end their lives here. So much so that the death rate had actually gotten up to about 100 per year. There's a fellow by the name of Yukio Shige. You've seen Yukio before. Sometimes he's been on the news. ABC News has done a story on him. Yukio, pretty popular. Yukio was a police officer, and it was his job to patrol the cliffs looking for dead bodies. That was his job. He would go around, and he would look for dead bodies, and he would do the investigation and come to find out if, if it was, in fact, suicide. He got real tired of seeing dead bodies on these cliffs. So when he retired at the age of 70, he decided he was going to do something about it. He decided that in his retirement, he was going to walk these cliffs and just talk to people and love on people. So that's what he did. If he saw somebody that was in despair, he'd walk up and he'd begin a conversation. He would know. He'd look at them. They'd be sitting there with that far-off look. And if he found out that they were homeless, he'd, he'd take them to a homeless shelter. If he found out that they were in need of a job, that they were in financial crisis, he would take them to a place, maybe an employment office or something where, where they could get some help. If he found out that they were just in, in, in great need of hope, he would sit down. Great need of love, he would begin to have conversations with them. And he began to have impact. As Yukio did this, the suicide rate on those cliffs began to drop dramatically. What was once 100 deaths a year fell to about 10 to 15 deaths a year. Matter of fact, so many people took notice that a small army began to join Yukio in his work. About 70 folks now patrol the cliffs of Tojimbo looking for those that are in need, that that are in serious need of help and hope. All because, listen to me, all because one man could not stand to see people perish. We sit here as the church of Jesus Christ, the victorious one, the overcomer, the king of kings, the prince of peace. When we walk out these doors tonight and we face our businesses tomorrow, our work tomorrow, our school tomorrow, family tomorrow, relationships tomorrow. Let's approach it as a people that cannot stand to see anyone perish without the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And let's see what the Lord begins to do in our midst because that is where the power is.